We are starting a new series today uh, from the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon is a true story of change. And it's around that idea that we want to uh, consider this morning. In fact, in the book of Philemon, we have one of the greatest life-changing stories in all of Scripture. And if you don't know about this letter, you may wonder, uh, and even if you read it, I mean, it's one page long. In most of your Bibles, it probably fits on one page. And even in first reading, it's, we wonder, why is it even here? Uh, because it's unclear at first. And yet, uh, the letter includes a really interesting story. Now, for any story, we need good characters. And this story has three really interesting characters. The letter was written by the Apostle Paul to Philemon. Philemon was a church leader in the church of Colossae. And he was a wealthy business owner, but he was very influential, and he was a good leader in his church. Um, So the, the letter was written by Paul to Philemon. Now, Philemon owned a slave, and this is where the story begins. And to help us understand the backstory behind the letter, I want to tell you a story. Um, And some of it includes some of the details that we know um, from the book of Acts and other places. Uh, But some of it is told in more of a creative way. And the goal is to uh, put ourselves in some of the dynamic things we're happening uh, around this letter. Um, so I encourage you to, to at this point, uh, it's storytelling time. So just sit back in your chairs and relax um, and do whatever you need to do um, just to really help yourself enter into the story in an imaginative way. If it would help, close your eyes uh, or just look down at the ground and, and just help yourself to think creatively. Prone to wander. He had to get away. It didn't matter where, just away from here. He was a fugitive now, shocking. The easiest direction was west, along the road to Ephesus. He knew he had one chance at survival, get to Rome. The road from Colossae led west, along the great trade route between the Euphrates and the port at Ephesus. It was about a 100-mile journey by foot to Ephesus, And it was there that he knew of someone that would be able to help him get on a trade ship heading west. He would work his way to Rome. One thing he knew how to do was work. The ship would sail south around the southern tip of Greece and then north to the great city of Rome. It would take him all of the late summer to get there, but he knew he could reach Rome by fall, where he would survive the winter hidden on the streets. He could disappear in Rome. He had heard about a group of runaway slaves there. They would accept him. Once in Rome, the darkness was deeper than he had expected it to be. The nights became longer. It was more difficult than he could have ever imagined. He resorted to begging on the street. He became numb. He questioned over and over again, why had he betrayed his master? Why had he so impulsively stolen and jumped at the chance to steal from his master? It didn't make sense anymore. Nothing made sense. And now there need, seemed to be no way back. Onesimus, a slave, prone to wander, prone to run. It was in the fall, there in the great city of Rome, that everything changed. He heard about the followers of the way. He began to observe them from a distance. 
There was a closeness and a trust between these men and women that surprised him. They were bold and they lived with passion and purpose, something he longed for. Onesimus began to search them out. It wasn't long before he was friends with several of them. Soon he found, him face to fa- soon he found himself face to face speaking directly with the Apostle Paul. He was allowed into their inner circle and he never imagined this kind of openness. All winter long he would listen to Paul and to the others preach and teach boldly. It was Paul himself that extended an undeserved kindness to Onesimus. In fact, it was there in Paul's home, while Paul was under house arrest there, that Onesimus first believed and confessed faith in Christ. Paul became like a father to Onesimus. Towards the end of the winter, it became obvious Onesimus needed to return to his master. It was the last thing he had ever expected to do, and it could mean death. But to him, he realized better to die in obedience than to live in fear or regret. In an, in an ironic twist, it turns out that Paul and his master Philemon are friends, and it was Paul that helped him decide to return. It was decided, Paul drafted the letter to his friend Philemon. Onesimus never forgot the last words Paul said to him. Arise, return to your master. Take this letter to him. Do not delay. Okay, you can open your eyes now if if you closed your eyes. Um, But this is just an imaginative way to uh, restore to you just the circumstances that led up to the need for this letter. And what I want us to hang on to uh, is that Onesimus is in the middle of something really interesting between Paul and Philemon. So if you will, take your Bibles, and we're going to look at the book of Philemon, and we're going to look at it as a letter. Um, It's toward the end of the New Testament. Uh, You may have trouble finding it, because like I said, it's one page. Um, If you find the book of Hebrews and turn left, you will find the letter to Philemon. And I would like to read it as a letter. And even as I read it, stay in that same mindset. This is a letter being sent from Paul to Philemon. Listen with me. The book and letter of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. To Apphia, our sister. To Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, But now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back, who is my very heart, 
back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better. Better than a slave. As a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demos, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As we read this letter, and as we set up the context behind it, it doesn't take long just to be inspired by what's happening in the life of Onesimus and uh, some of the radical things that he's experienced. Uh, You may be asking, why do we have this letter as part of the Bible? I mean, if it's just one page, and it doesn't, at first glance, appear to address any great teaching or tackle any great heresy, um, which Paul is so good at, and yet it's kind of this personal, intimate letter. Um, There's a few things why I believe it's here. Um, The first is what I like to think of as the coolness factor of this letter, I think it's really cool that we have a letter from Paul to Philemon, and it's very personal in nature. Now, Paul had written several personal letters to Titus and 1 and 2 Timothy, but this letter is unique in the sense that it's the most personal expression between Paul and one of his Christian brothers. And for me, that's just kind of a cool way to think about this letter. Um, But there's something much more significant that drives the purpose behind this letter, and that's to understand the context of when this letter was written. Uh, The letter of Philemon, as I said, was carried to Onesimus. uh, I'm sorry, the letter of uh, Philemon was carried by Onesimus to his master, Philemon. And Onesimus had a traveling partner at this time named Tychicus. Now, Tychicus was carrying the letter to the Colossian church that should be taught uh, to the church there. Listen to Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. And you can read along on the screen behind me. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Um, Now, Tychicus and Onesimus, they are no Paul and Barnabas, mind you. Um, But at the same time, they are on an important mission eastward uh, to to carry two important letters of the church back to its leaders. And the profound thing about Philemon 
uh, is that it, 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 it's about who it was directed toward. Philemon, as I said, was essentially the key leader in the church at Colossae. It says that the church met in his home. And he was a business owner there, an influential person. And throughout Philemon, it really talks about him as someone that refreshes the hearts of the saints. Someone that goes above and beyond in his care for the church. Um, But the book of Colossians was written to the church at large. And if I could simplify what that book was communicating, it was communicating this idea that the church at Colossae was falling into the trap of human philosophy and human thinking. And they were confusing that with true belief in Christ and true Christianity. Listen to Colossians 2, chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So Paul says to the church at Colossae, don't fall into the trap of human philosophy and thinking at the expense of your Christian faith. And then Paul writes this personal letter to Philemon. Philemon, don't fall into the trap of falling into human thinking and philosophy and let it get in the way of how you treat your Christian brother. And, and to me, that's the uh, really interesting thing of why we have this letter. It's because when we set it in next to the book of Colossians, um, it becomes very profound. I encourage you, as we explore this uh, letter for the next three weeks, um, in your own study, take time to read the book of Colossians and read them together. It'll take you about a minute or two minutes to read the whole letter of Philemon. Uh, but to read the book of Colossians will take a little bit more time, and it may start to open up some things about what's happening here. The bottom line is that Paul is telling Philemon, uh, he, he's really almost asking him, is your Christian faith real? And if so, show me. How, it's gonna, how will it impact how you live and how you live in your society there at Colossae? And it's on this idea that we turn back to the character Onesimus. I want to bring out two biblical principles from his life this morning. And um, they're, they're deliberately um, basic because of what the church was struggling with at this time. And I feel like as we move toward a full understanding of the book of Philemon, it's, it's best to start um, very simply So uh, what we see and what we learn from Onesimus, the first biblical principle that we learn, and if you're taking notes, this would be something that you would want to write down. The biblical principle number one is don't wander from your problems, face them. Don't wander from your problems, face them. There was a time of wandering in Onesimus' life. We see it. And yet there comes a time in his life where he faces his problems head on. I could have selected a different word in that sentence other than wander, but the word wander is really interesting to me. It's not a word that we use a lot in, in language, but when we do use it, it's usually, it carries with it this idea that you're wandering around aimlessly, right? Like he was wandering through the streets of Rome, or you wandered through the park. And I want to think about that idea of wandering aimlessly, Because what I want to challenge us this morning is that as we wander and migrate away from our problems, we are not just wandering aimlessly, but we're actually intentionally moving away from something that's very challenging in our life. Um, I thought of the great hymn, uh, Come Thou Fount. 
and the lyrics are on your screen of one of the verses. One of the verses is really profound. O to grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And the, the song goes on, but, but I really love that sentence. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And uh, I know when it comes to how our hearts start to wander, um, I think that that's uh, something that we all feel at times in life. Um, so as I said, I want us to key in on this idea of wandering. Um, with the idea of how are you wandering away from the problems in your life. If you're a note taker, this is what I want you to do. I want you to draw a dot, and from that dot, I want you to draw four arrows uh, pointing in four different directions, however you feel like drawing them, whatever directions you want. But I want to highlight how we wander from our problems. And uh, this may be a a time for you that you start to feel tempted to um, check out of this conversation because it's becoming a little bit more interpersonally difficult. But I encourage you to stay with me and think about this. Um, We wander from our problems, and I'm just going to give you four ways that I think that we really do this to ourselves. We wander from our problems first by deceiving ourselves. And that would be the first arrow if you're taking notes, deceiving ourselves. We wander from our problems by deceiving ourselves. I think uh, humans are very good at self-trickery, right? We trick ourselves into believing what we want to believe, living the way that we want to live. And we do this um, very subtly in our own lives. And a question to go with that, uh, that direction is, if you're deceiving yourself, here's a question to think about. Where are you lying to yourself? Where are you lying to yourself in life? We also wander from our problems by busying ourselves. Um, I want you to think about busyness for a second. And I, I almost guarantee that there's not a person in this room that would not say that they were busy, right? Busyness is a reality that we live in, in our culture. Um, and busyness in itself is just, like I said, sometimes it's just a reality. But we use busyness to avoid um, the problems that we should face in a very tactful sort of way. I was uh, sitting by a friend's commu- computer recently, and I happened to notice a sticky note on his computer. And this is what it said. It said, um, today I will do one thing, period. And it was like just a period at the end of the sentence. Today I'll do one thing. And then below that, it was written thing, T-H-I-N-G, semicolon. And then there was a blank on the sticky to fill out that one thing that, that you're going to complete today. And it made me chuckle at first, but then as I thought about it, um, I know just even recently in my life how many times I've sat down at my computer with two or three really important uh, problems that I wanted to face that day. And I should have written it on that sticky note, but so quickly, busyness and other priorities take over and we confuse what's really important because of busyness. The third way that we wander from our problems is we numb ourselves. We numb ourselves. And this is harder to self-derive, but we numb ourselves in several ways. Either we use a substance to abuse abusively in our life, to physically numb our bodies, to avoid reality. And there may be some of you in this room that do that. Um, 
Or we numb ourselves through uh, something sinful in our lives that because, becomes something that we hold on to very tightly, very secretly. And it's something that um, is hidden, but it has this numbing effect on our life. Um, the other thing that we do, and this is uh, less sinful, but it's, it's still the same idea. We use something harmless in our life, and it becomes either an obsession or just it starts to take up too much space in our lives, and it starts to numb us from kind of the real problems in life. Um, so I, here's a question with this idea of numbing. What is distracting you from reality? What is distracting you from reality? The fourth way that we wander from our problems aimlessly is that we just run. We physically run or we emotionally run from our problems. And this is where we turn back to Onesimus the slave. Onesimus ran until something uh, really drastic and transformational happened in his life. Let's look at the text. Look at verse 12. Philemon 12. Uh, Philemon, being that it only has one chapter, you don't even need to say chapter 1, verse 12. You can just say Philemon 12. Um, But listen to Philemon 12. I am sending Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. I am sending Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. Now, the English language um, does its best there. But the idea of Paul sending his very heart back to Philemon is Paul here is using the strongest language that he can find in his vocabulary at this point. Really, the literal translation for this idea is, I'm sending my bowels to you. And though you may not want to think about it that literally, um, the idea is that Paul is sending someone so essential to his survival um, that the way that we say it is, I'm sending my very heart to you. So we cannot survive without our hearts. And it's, it's here around this idea that I want us to again go back to the conversation that Paul and Onesimus had as they started to explore the idea of Onesimus returning to his master, uh, Philemon. Uh, if you know anything about history, you know that slavery in the Roman Empire was brutal. There were as many as 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire around this time in the first century. And Paul would have known, as well as anyone, uh, and being in prison himself, the reality of what he was asking Onesimus to do by returning to his master that he had stolen from. Um, during that time, there, uh, the, the population of slaves were always on the verge of revolt. And the society functioned around this intricate system of slavery And it was always uh, tumultuous and on the verge of change. Um, So slaves were dealt with very harshly. Um, At a minimum, if uh, Philemon was a typical slave owner, when Onesimus returned, he would take him back as a slave, but he would brand his forehead with the letter F, fugitive, runaway. And Onesimus would carry around that mark of someone that was on the run, even as a slave. And... uh, Oftentimes, there was drastic, more drastic um, measures taken. A, a slave for running away and stealing from his master could be executed on the spot without trial, without any uh, need for further discussion. So Paul knew 
what he was asking Onesimus to do. And we, we believe that Onesimus, being a slave himself, certainly understood this. And it's here that um, I ask that same biblical principle that I stated earlier in more of a personal way. Because I want you to think about how would Onesimus have heard this. We don't wander from our problems. Instead, we face them. We don't wander from our problems. Instead, we face them. I'd like to get personal here um, and just really, in a pastoral way, ask you a series of questions. Um, I believe that there are people in this room And I know that there are people in this room that have problems that they need to face. And I'd like just to um, have you think about the problems in your life. Maybe for you it's a marital problem in your marriage. Maybe something has been spinning around your marriage for several years now. And you've tried to deal with it um, in your own means and you've tried to do things. But it's this problem that keeps getting bigger. And you realize you have to deal with it. For you, maybe it's a physical challenge that you're facing. Maybe there's something that you've noticed on your body physically that is making you nervous, but you don't have the courage to deal with it. Maybe for you, it's a financial burden that your family is bearing. And the easiest uh, means that you have to deal with it is to not open your checking account online and uh, just kind of make sure that there's just enough in there that a check won't bounce and, uh, but allow yourself to forget about it for most of the time. Maybe you have a relationship challenge in your life. Maybe there's someone in your life that for a long time you've been avoiding, uh, whether it be reconciliation or just even having a simple conversation of healing. And then lastly, maybe you are wandering from God himself. Uh, if this is you, you know this, and only you will know this. Um, you can hide this from anyone including your spouse. But maybe you're wandering from God in your heart and and you're really wrestling with what it means to follow Christ. And I would say to you that we cannot wander away from our problems and expect to find the healing power of God um, if we continue to run. And, And that's the biblical challenge that we see in Onesimus' life. He calls us to action by his own example. And I would like you to, um, even this week, explore what God might calling you, be calling you to do. Um, I know when we open a can of worms like this, a problem, um, either our tendency is to try to fix it quickly or just to continue not to think about it. So I would encourage you in a, in a third direction, which is rather than wander from it and rather try to fix it quickly, Um, start to begin taking the time in your life to address this problem. Um, Maybe this first step, this first week, is simply to read scripture or to get on your knees before the Lord. If you are a Christian and you pray to God and you have not been on your knees in prayer, I would encourage you to humble yourself in that way. It's very humbling and challenging to get on your knees before the Lord. We sing about it in songs. We sang... Did you know you sang that, that you would get on your knees before the Lord today? If you were singing the songs this morning, you sang those very words. And I'm sure there's some of us that, that, that had, did not even realize that we sang those words. And in closing, I'd like just to point us to a second biblical principle of Philemon's life. And this is uh, something that I find really helpful. And it's the second b- biblical principle. When Jesus is Lord... 
we will embrace godly change. When Jesus is Lord, we will embrace godly change in our life. And uh, we see this in Onesimus and even the scripture. Look at verse 11. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Formerly Onesimus was useless to you, but now he has become useful to you and to me. Paul, uh, again in the original language, is, is, is doing a playful pun on words here. If you look at the notes in your Bible, you may see that the word Onesimus literally means useful. So when Paul is saying, formerly you were useful, but now, or formerly you were useless, but now you are useful. Formerly you were useless, but now you are Onesimus. Do you see the plan words there? Um, there's several ways that Paul is very um, playful and, and um, the friendship that he has with Philemon is built around his plea toward him. Um, but Onesimus um, was changed from someone that, who had been useless to society and he became useful. And um, this builds on our last principle this morning. Um, when Jesus is Lord, we will embrace godly change. I'd like just to stop, talk about what godly change is. Um, godly change is a move toward righteousness. That's how I would define godly change. Godly change is a move toward righteousness in our lives. Um, again, this is not uh, something the- theologically abstract. It's very practical. But a move toward godly change is a move toward righteousness. So often in America, we struggle with the will of God. What's the will of God for my life? Um, it starts early in, in college, right? Like, what should my major be? We... Um, we really wrestle with what our major should be, and that's a really good question. Um, we wrestle with who should I spend time with while in college? Where should I work? Where should I move after I graduate? Who should I marry? Um, when should we have kids? What house should we buy? How many kids should we have? And these are the very real questions that we deal with in life, and I'm not minimizing them because it's, it's, we have, they have to be self-derived answers and honestly derived but um, the godly change that, that God calls us to in Scripture is, is uh, very spiritual in nature. What he says is, um, pray continuously, be joyful always, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And uh, when we think about godly righteousness and how we move toward change in our life, Um, I would encourage you just to think about that this week. Rather than trying to fix your problem, um, first start to move toward godly righteousness. Now to do that, um, I understand that solving problems in our life becomes this can of worms that that becomes difficult. And when we try to solve our own problems on our own, certainly we make mistakes and we create more problems. Um, But when Jesus is Lord of our lives, uh, that's the root that we need to solve problems. And I would ask you this question, um, and this is as simply as I can state this question, and I mean it honestly. I mean it honestly in your life. So put very simply, has Jesus Christ changed your life by saving you? Has Jesus Christ changed your life by saving you? We should never get tired of reminding ourselves about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And just to bring this sermon together, I want to read the gospel to you from the book of Colossians. And it will be on the screen behind me. But even as I read it, I want you to remember that Onesimus very likely would have been with Paul as he wrote this uh, letter to the Colossian church. And uh, very likely would have been walking with Tychicus as it was delivered to the Colossian church. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us in the kingdom, into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Go to verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Again, I'm reminded that Onesimus um, probably heard this before it was delivered to the church at Colossians. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. goes on in chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Verse 13. You, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code, with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In chapter 3, verse 1, and this is what Paul and Philemon and Onesimus held on to. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears, who is your life, then you also will appear with him in glory. The gospel is not simply uh, just a simple message that we we, we receive and pray in a spiritual way and then move on. The gospel is something transformational that intersects our life and our problems. And uh, the key aspect of that is the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Um, So I encourage you as we walk from this place um, to begin with that question. Is Jesus Lord of your life? 